I'm going to move these things down a step because I see myself kicking them over. And y'all laughing, so. <laughs> We've been talking about, um, on Sunday mornings, living in fear. But a different kind of fear. The fear of the Lord. And I want to tell you uh, how three instances in my life, in my spiritual development, the fear of the Lord came into play. You've heard these stories before, but not in this context. One was my salvation. Because um, uh, this, when I was a six-year-old kid, I was a liar and I was a thief. I would lie to my parents readily to get out of trouble, and I stole stuff from stores like candy. I love candy, and I would steal it, and I would never give it back, never felt guilty about it until a particular day when God began to impress upon me how wrong it was. And that I was, then I began to be afraid. I began to be afraid that I would die in that condition and go to hell. I had learned enough about the Lord and about His Word and about heaven and about hell. And by the way, if hell isn't real, then neither is heaven. Okay? We've been talking about that some lately, and Archie talked about it last Sunday night. If there's no bad news, is there really any good news? I mean, why do you get saved anyway? Well, some people say just to escape hell. That's part of it. But it's to live a godly life here on earth, to represent Him, to live for Him. But when I was a six-year-old boy, I was scared to die and be separated from God in a place called hell because I knew my sin separated me from God. I knew that much, even as a six-year-old kid. I may not have put it in those kinds of words that I'm putting it in now, but I knew that I was guilty and I stood before a holy God. And it led to me being saved. That was the first instance of me experiencing the fear of God. I didn't know what it was then, like I do now, but that was the first experience. Second experience, well, maybe not the second, but another experience I want to relate to you is when I was in college. And my freshman year, my friend and I had gone to see a movie. We probably shouldn't have, not probably, we shouldn't have gone to see that movie. And so now I've gone and seen a movie that I probably shouldn't have seen. I've compromised my values by seeing something I should not have watched. And now my freshman roommate is saying, let's go across the parking lot over here to the Bayview Yacht Club, which was frequented by college students. And it was Thursday night. It was known as college night. It was where all the kids would go and hang out and and I said uh, to him, I said, no, first of all. I said, no, I, I don't want to go. I don't drink. He said, well, you don't have to drink. Let me say this to you, kids. Tell the devil no once. He's got a reason. You've got to keep telling him no. I said, no, I don't drink. He goes, you don't have to drink. Just sit there. And I said, well, uh, I, he said, you don't have to drink. Just come in and, and have a good time. I said, well, I don't dance. He goes, you don't have to dance. Just sit there and watch us. I said, well, I don't have any extra money for the cover charge. He goes, I'll take care of the cover charge. He had a reason for every excuse I gave. He had a reason. And I finally said, okay. And we're walking up to the door of that bar, and he opens the door. And it's like, I'm on this side, and he's this, and he opens the door this way. I couldn't even see in the bar. I'd have to go around the door to get in the, in the club. And when he opened that door, I didn't see in. I just knew that that was a moment, a defining moment in my life. It was like the Spirit of God said, if you go in that door, your life will never be the same. And I said, finally, I just said, well, John, I'm sorry I can't go in. 
just take me home and you can come back by yourself. That was another defining moment where, looking back on it, I experienced the fear of the Lord. And the third one was my call to the ministry. God had been calling me since I was in 10th grade. And I kept saying, no, 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 no. My dad was a preacher. And I didn't want to be a preacher. I didn't want to go in the ministry. Not because my dad was a bad person. I loved my dad. I respected him. But I just didn't want to do it. I had other ideas, other plans, other ambitions. But I remember one day, can't really tell you when it was. I believe it was between my freshman and sophomore year in college. That's how long I waited. Three to four years. And God put a direct question to me. I didn't hear it with my ears, but I heard it louder than that. God said, do you want to be happy? He even called me by name. Lee, he said. Well, again, I didn't hear it with my ears, but I heard it very plainly, very directly. He said, Lee, do you want to be happy? And I said, of course, Lord, I want to be happy. And he said this, then you'll do what I'm calling you to do. And that was the third time in my life where I realized that, that God, I was accountable to God. And that if I didn't surrender to His will and His way, then, then I would experience something that I didn't want to experience. But I would experience the fullness of joy and life and blessing in God's will. It's the fear of the Lord. It wasn't that I was scared to death of God. It was that I knew what God was telling me and not telling me, and I had to respond because I knew I was stood before God. I believe you've had those encounters too. And if you think back on them, you probably could identify those instances in your life where you responded in similar ways. I could tell you of ways also where I didn't respond like that. But you know, it's easier to talk about the fear of the Lord by trying to identify ways where there is no fear of God. For example, Abraham, when he was going to Gerar, and there was a king there by the name of Abimelech. Abram said to Sarah, Sarah, I'm going to tell them that you're my sister because there's no fear of God in that place and they'll take you for their wife and they'll abuse you and, and all that and they'll steal you from me. So let's just say you're my sister and protect me and you both. Well, it didn't work out that way, but he identified the fact that there was no fear of God. How could he tell there was no fear of God in that place? Well, obviously he saw their lifestyle. Moses said the same thing about Pharaoh in Egypt. In Exodus chapter 9, he looked at Pharaoh in Egypt and he saw the pagan and the idolatry, paganism and the idolatry. And he said to them, he said, you have no fear of God here. And I wonder if that's true in our, our country here now, that there's no fear of God in our land or very little anymore. And I want you to not just hear this in context of this country or other people's lives. I want, you to, I want us to examine our own lives this morning. Am I living in the fear of the Lord? And so we're going to try to identify it with what it is and what it isn't. First of all, the fear of God and obedience go hand in hand. And I want to read several scriptures for you this morning. And I'm going to read your mind as well. You ever had somebody tell you I'm going to read your mind? Because I know what some of you are going to be thinking. Yeah, you're probably going to start in the Old Testament, aren't you? You're absolutely right. Yeah, I know the fear of God's in the Old Testament. You're absolutely right. But Paul said, I delivered to you the whole counsel of God. And I'm going to show you how the Old Testament talks about it, but then how the Old Testament prophet prophesied about it coming in our day, 
and then what Jesus and the apostles had to say about it. But in Deuteronomy chapter 6, in verse 2, talking about the fear of God and obedience. Listen to what the scriptures say. And I'm going to start in chapter 6 and verse 2. He says, That you may fear the Lord your God in order to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, so that your days may be prolonged. Verse 13. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him. Verse Chapter 8 and verse 6. The Bible says, Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. Now listen to this one. I'm going to refer to it again later. Chapter 10, verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to love him? Now hear that. To serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And then chapter 13 and verse 4. You see the connection, how he's talking about fearing and obeying and walking in God's ways? He says in chapter 13, verse 4, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. They, the Israelites, as well as us today, learn the fear of the Lord by being careful to observe. That is, observing with our eyes by reading it and studying it and obeying it. Remember, that's part of the Great Commission. We don't hear that part sometimes, but it says, Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and what's the rest of it? And it teach them to what? Obey. And another version says observe. Same thing. Observe, look at, study in order to obey. So there it is. In the Old and the New Testament, Jesus is teaching us from his word to, to obey his word. And we fear the Lord when we obey the Lord. When we don't obey the Lord, we're disregarding God. Here's what the scripture says in Deuteronomy 17, 19. And it shall be with him. Now he's talking about the king. He says the king is supposed to take the word of God, the law of God, and read it every day of his life. That he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law. What if our kings today made sure they read the Bible every day? What if our rulers, our governors, our mayors, what if they made sure that they feared God in order to read his word every day? Chapter 28, verse 58 of Deuteronomy says, if you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name. And then he names them, all caps, the Lord your God. Let me give you some examples in Scripture of how the fear of God and obedience go hand in hand. First of all, Israel in 2 Kings 17. God said, you do not fear the Lord. Why? Because you're not following my law and commandments, which I've commanded. Proverbs 8, verse 13, the Bible says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Remember what it said about Job? Job 1, 1, about the man Job. A lot of bad things happened to Job, but here's his testimony. Here was a man, the Bible says, he feared God and he hated evil. The two go hand in hand. You can't love evil and fear God. You can't fear God and, and, and enjoy sin. 
Proverbs 14 and verse 2 says, He who follows the right path fears the Lord, but he who is on the wrong path despises God. Remember what Jesus said in the Great Commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. Remember what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you cannot serve two masters. You will love the one and what? Hate the other. You can't love them both. You will cling to one and what? Despise the other. You can't do it both. You can't have the fear of God and evil at the same time. You can't walk in disobedience and say you love and fear God. Proverbs 16, 6. By fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. You see, that's what I go back to in my salvation experience. What, helped, what turned my life around? I could not say at that moment that I loved God. But I could say at that moment I had enough fear of God in me that it stopped me in my tracks and said, I want to get saved. I want to turn my life to God. And over time, I've learned to love God. I mean, I, I loved Him. That's, that began my love journey, my love relationship with God. But it was by the fear of the Lord I departed from evil. I knew I was going to give account one day to a holy God. Like I say, I couldn't have put it in those terms when I was six. But I remember feeling and thinking things very similar. Listen to what Solomon said, the wisest man of all. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he said, Fear God and keep His commandments. This is man's all. Fear God and keep His commandments. Now some might argue we shouldn't be motivated to obey God by fear, but rather by love. And they might quote 1 John 4.18 that says, There's no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear. Well, I want to bring your memory back to the first sermon in this series where we read passages like Romans 8.15 and we asked the question, does God want us to fear? And passages like Romans 8.15 says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 we looked at where God says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. And all the 365 places where God says, do not fear or don't be afraid. So how do we come to the conclusion that we ought to be motivated by the fear of God to obey God? How do we get to that conclusion? What do we do with passages like Matthew 10, 28, where Jesus says, Don't fear him who can kill only the body. Rather, fear him who can kill body and soul in hell. Who's he talking about there? Who has that power? Who has the power to kill your body and your soul in hell? Only God does. God holds the keys of life and death into hell and heaven. What do we do with passages like Philippians 2.12 that says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. How do we bring those together? Some skeptics might think, well, the Bible's full of contradictions. See? Can't trust it. But the well-meaning Christian would dig deeper and say there's something there. I need to grasp, that I'm not grasping. I want to learn more. I want to know more. You remember we talked about the difference between positive fear and negative fear? And I, I'm going to use a different illustration. How many of you go to work every Monday? I mean, you know, routinely. You may skip a Monday or two because you're sick or playing hooky or whatever. But you go to work every Monday, right? Do you want to go to work every Monday? 
Would you rather stay at home and draw a paycheck? Of course. But you go to work. Why do you go to work? What are you afraid of if you don't go to work? <laughs> You're afraid of losing your job, and what will happen if you lose your job? You can't buy groceries, you can't pay your bills, so what motivates you on Monday morning to get out of that bed and go to that job? You don't love it. Most of you don't. Some of you do. But you do it. Fear can be a positive motivator, right? Or fear can be a negative paralyzer. So does God want us to have negative paralyzing fear where we're afraid to do anything? Like the, par the parable of the talents where that guy got one talent, the other got two and five, and the one with one was paralyzed with fear. And he said, oh, I knew God was a harsh God, and, and I don't want to do anything wrong, so I just didn't do anything. That's not the kind of fear we're talking about. We're talking about the right kind of fear that's motivating us to obey. So when we encounter 300 places in Scripture that tell us to fear God, the kind of fear he's talking about is positive, motivating fear. And I contend that love for God and fear of God is manifested in basically the same ways. Obedience. Obedience. Did you pick up on that Deuteronomy 10, 12 verse I said to pay attention to? Old Testament. Here's what he said. Now Israel, now put your name where it says Israel. What does the Lord require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to what? There it is in the same verse. Fear him and what? Love him. Is fear canceling love? Yes or no? According to the scripture, yes or no? Does love cancel fear? Yes or no? No. What, so how do we do this perfect love cast out fear? How do we reconcile that verse with 1 John 4 over here? How do we reconcile that? How, do you, how would you reconcile that? How would you answer that question? Do you think we just throw one out? with the other or do you think that God means something deeper something more I contend that the love of God and the fear of God is manifested in the same way considering Deut Deuteronomy 10 12 considering 1st John that I just read for you considering what Jesus said in John 14 15 he said if you love me what keep my commandments he repeats it in verse 21 a little differently he who has my commandments and keeps them he it is that loves me 1 John 5, 3, this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And then He's saying all these other scriptures we just read, if you fear God, you will what? Keep His commandments. Jesus said, if you love God, you will keep His commandments. So love of God and fear of God is manifested in the exact same way, right? What way is that? Obedience. Obedience. One doesn't cancel the other. The reason you fear God is because you love Him. You acknowledge Him. You, you believe Him. You take His word as true and you adjust your life to it. So, the fear of God and obedience and the love of God and obedience, the fear and the love of God go hand in hand. And they meet at the point of obedience. 
I want to share one more, another thing with you. The fear of God is a sure sign of your salvation. Now, this is where I said, some of you might think, well, he's preaching Old Testament truth, but I think you've seen enough already in this message, enough New Testament truth, but I'm going to show you some, something very interesting. How many of you believe the Bible is absolutely 100% true? No errors. Well, how many, how many believe that every prophecy that God has given either has come true or will come true? All right? This is a prophecy of Jeremiah, and he's talking about the New Covenant times, the New Testament times. That's the times we live in now that started with the coming of Jesus Christ. And here's what God said through Jeremiah would happen in these days. Here's what God was going to do in these days. Jeremiah 32 Verse 39 and 40. And I will give them... Well, first of all, let me back up to verse 38. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way, so that they may fear me forever. For the good of them and their children after them. Why does God want us to fear him? He says it's for their own good. I literally... Honestly, with all my heart believe, had I rounded that door and walked into that club that night, I would not be here today. I believe that with all my heart. But God stopped me. It was God that stopped me. I wanted to give in. I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be accepted and do what other college kids did. Yeah, there was that in me. But God wouldn't let me. And God says, I want to teach you the fear of me to protect you. Why don't you just walk up to the oven or to the stove and you can see the burner on and just put your hand on it? You know, I'm not going to, there's the protective fear there. Fear is a protective thing. God says, I want you to learn so, I, so you, for your good. And he says in verse 40, And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. He's prophesying in the Old Testament about how we are to, what he is going to do in the New Testament times. That's us. That's today. That's now. The fear of God is not an Old Testament concept. And I point your attention to Acts chapter 9, verse 31. We're talking about the fear of God, the sure sign of our salvation. Talking about the believers, the believers, the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> think about that phrase just for a moment. Do you think of fear and comfort as being happening at the same time? If you're afraid, are you comforted? But so he's not talking about being afraid then, is he? The fear of the Lord and the what? Comfort of the Holy Spirit. And these were believers. They walked in the fear of God. It's an evidence of your salvation. Romans chapter 3. This is how we were before we were saved. Verse 10. None righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. We've all turned aside. We've become altogether unprofitable. No one does good. No, not even one. 
Verse 14, our mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Our feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery in our ways, in the way of peace we've not known. There is no fear of God before our eyes. That characterized every one of our lives before we met Jesus Christ. We had no fear of God. We lived with no regard for His Word. But now that we're saved, 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, what promises? The promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. How am I going to become more holy, more obedient? I'm going to do it by learning to fear the Lord and to love Him with all my heart. It's a sure sign of my salvation that I'm becoming more like Christ, not less. In Philippians 2.12, we've already referred to it. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So let me examine this a little practically here. The lost man without Christ, without God, without the Holy Spirit, living them, living in them, cares nothing about God. He doesn't give God a thought. He lives as though he's God. He lives as though there is no God. He lives with no authority in his life. In fact, he's resistant to every authority that would be over him or her. She or he sees that they have no accountability to anyone. They don't have to answer to anybody. Such was Cain. Genesis chapter 4. Bobby, I didn't give you this one. Sorry. But Genesis chapter 4 and verse 5 says, God did not respect Cain's offering. Why did God not respect Cain's offering? Well, we can't fully answer that question, but I think I know enough about what God says in the rest of his word to take an educated guess. It's because Cain had no respect for God that God had no respect for Cain. And how do I know this? Because of what follows after verse 5. Here's the conversation. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance falling? And God's given him a chance to repent. He said, If you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, sin is crouching or lying at the door, and its desire is for you. But you... And when it says it's desires for you, it means it's sin's desires to master you. By the way, let me stop there. That's what, God, that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to use sin. He doesn't want you to fear the Lord. He doesn't want you to fear Him, to obey Him, because He wants you to disregard God so sin will master you. And there's some of you here today, perhaps, whose sin is dominating your life. You're trapped in it. It's got dominion over you. But the Bible says in Romans 6, For a believer, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? See, the devil wants to keep you under his rule. You're either under God's rule or the devil's rule. Some of you, sin is, dom is dominating you. And God is saying, get out from under it. Don't let it dominate you. And Cain, it says, the next thing he did, verse 8, he talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. So Cain said, basically he said, I don't care what God says. I'm ticked off at my brother. And I'm mad at God. 
I'm just going to get rid of my brother. I'm just going to kill him. And then God says to Cain, where is your brother? And Cain said, I don't, I don't know. I'm not my brother's keeper. No regard, no respect, no reverence, no fear of God. That's a lost man. That's how a lost person lives. And if you're here today and that's how you're living, you're either lost or you're so far from God, you can't even hear His Spirit wooing you back. A saved person cares about God. A saved person loves God. A saved person realizes that they will stand before God one day and give account. Romans 14, 12 tells us that. I'm sorry, but, uh, Romans 14, yeah, 14, 12. It says, each of us will give account of himself to God. And Hebrews 4, 13 tells us, there is no creature hidden from God's sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So a lost man says, I don't answer to God or anyone. No authority, no accountability. I will do as I please. A lost man says, my lifestyle is acceptable. Whatever that may look like. Whatever I'm doing, it's acceptable. And I want everybody else to accept it. And if you don't accept my lifestyle, then you're the one that's wrong. I'm okay. There's no moral absolutes. I can do what I please. And it's right if it's right for me. And if it makes me feel good, it's good. That's how a lost man thinks. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what you Christians say. I don't care what the church of Jesus Christ says. I don't even care what this so-called God says. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my life. Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Jeremiah, God had given him a prophecy. And it so frightened the leaders of that nation because they had enough fear to know, enough fear of God to know that if God said it, they had seen it happen before, it was coming. So they rush it over to Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim's in his winter palace. He's sitting there by the fire and he's warming himself by the fire. He yanks the scroll out of Baruch's hand, even the one as he's reading it, and he tears it up and he throws it into the fire. He's burning the very word of God. No regard for God. I don't care what God says, he said. I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm king. Some of you here today may be living like that. You think you're king. You think you're in charge. There's no moral absolutes that if it's right for you, it's right. But the saved person knows that his or her sin is not acceptable to God. It's not excusable by God. This idea that I can do it and God will forgive me no matter what, that's not how a believer thinks. That's how a lost person has no fear of God thinks. A believer knows God's word is true. Knows that when God says something it's, is right, that it's right. And if God says something that's wrong, it's wrong. The saved person is very concerned about offending God. The saved person is very concerned about the consequences of, of their sin. The saved person wants to live a holy life. They hate sin. And they see the consequences of it in their life, and they're trying to break free from it. And they just need to learn to walk in victory. But, so I want to ask you, does that sound like you? 
but you really want to live that way? Or do you just not care? The mentality that I can do what I want and God will forgive me, that's not the mindset of a genuine believer. It indicates that you don't know Him at all. It indicates that you don't fear God. It indicates that you don't love God. You see, a genuine follower of Jesus is concerned about the consequences of sin. They're concerned about offending a holy God. And they're concerned about the loss of intimacy with God when they do sin. And those three things kind of encapsulate the fear of God. What is the fear of God? For me, it's wrapped up in those three things. I don't want to suffer the consequences of sin. I don't want to offend my Lord and my Savior after all He's done for me. And every time I sin, I feel so far from Him. So I don't want to lose that closeness. Is that how you feel? That's how a genuine believer expresses and experiences the fear of the Lord. It's what the love of God looks like, our love for God. And it's that which motivates us to walk in obedience. And when we do sin, we then admit it to God because we don't deny it. We admit it. We confess it to Him and we ask His forgiveness. And the Bible says when we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But to live as if we'd not sinned, even though we know in our hearts we have, we don't have that forgiveness. But God says, if you confess it, I'll forgive it and cleanse you. And I'll give you the grace to obey. So I want you to think this morning, which of those two people characterize you? The person that lives with no regard for God? You don't really care what God thinks. You're going to do what you want to do no matter what. That's a lost person. The saved person says, yes, I'm a sinner. And I've done things that I shouldn't have done, but I fear God and I, I don't want the consequences of sin in my life. I don't want to offend Him anymore. And I don't want to lose the closeness that I love being when, he's, when we're close. I don't want to lose that. Now be honest with yourself. Which one of those characterizes you today? One of those two. And if this is the one, you need to get saved today. It ought to scare you to death to be this person. Because you could die. And yes, you would go to hell. Because there's no fear of God. There's no love of God. He's not forgiven you because you have not admitted that you need him. Or that he's even there. You need to get saved today. And you're here today as a, because He loves you. He brought you here today. And His Holy Spirit is convicting you and pulling at you today because He loves you and He wants you to be saved. You may have grown up in this church, but this is you. You may be a deacon in this church, but this is you. You may be a Sunday school teacher, but you say, this is me. Hey, don't let your position, don't trip over your position into hell. It's not your title, it's not your position that approves you to God. It's not your baptism. If you've been genuinely converted by the power of Jesus Christ, have you surrendered your life to Him? And if you're this person over here, you say, yeah, that's, that's me. 
I'm not perfect, but that's me. I challenge you to hear the verses I read. Because of we are inheritors of the promises, don't give up. Keep striving towards holiness. Every day you're going to be confronted with decisions to fear and love God or to, de- or to despise God. Choose. Choose the fear of the Lord. It will be for your good. It will be for His glory. And it will be to bring others to know Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit,